0: It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood a beautiful day for a neighbor would you be mine could you be mine it's a neighborly day in this beauty would a neighborly day for a beauty would you be mine could you be mine
1: again. I am very, very conflicted this morning. You may remember last week that some people with joy and laughter gave me this travesty of whatever. And when they first gave it to me, I was so shocked that I couldn't even see the Patriots logos on it. I just saw pink flamingos everywhere. And if you know me, I'm not into pink, I'm not into pink flamingos, so this was very mean-spirited and unkind. <laughs> yes, yeah, not a good neighbor to do this to me, but it fits with this morning, because, you know, uh, last week, you know, I had this shirt, I'm very conflicted, I'm very sad, and, and then the Patriots lost to the Titans just horribly last week. I, I, I cried myself to sleep uh, last Sunday night. And, uh, you know, when I thought about that, I, I thought, you know, and if, if God slept, and God doesn't sleep, but if God slept, I, I think there's times where God might uh, cry himself to sleep. And he doesn't cry himself to sleep because uh, there's two things on a T-shirt that, that don't belong together, he cries himself to sleep because there are two things that are supposed to be on the T-shirt of a Christ follower that we sometimes don't acknowledge. We actually look at that T-shirt and say, that's conflicted. Maybe we don't actively say it's conflicted, but our actions actually say it's conflicted. And that's this whole idea of, won't you be my neighbor? That's this whole idea of love God and love others as yourself. A lot of us as Christ followers who have been around the block a lot of time, been in this church world, really emphasize the love God part. And we're distracted by that in a in a positive way. I was distracted by all the pink flamingos. But we don't see the other logo that says love others as yourself. You see, both are on the t-shirt. Both are on the Christ follower t-shirt. And this morning, if you're just checking things out, and and you're trying to even figure out what God has to do, if He has anything to do with life, and this person named Jesus, His Son, and all of that kind of a thing, uh, you know, you you just hang with us. But those of us who are Christ followers, and who got the t-shirt... There's love God and love others as yourself. And those things are not in conflict. Those things actually fit together perfectly. But if I'm honest with you, if I'm genuine with you, I love the love God, I love singing a song, I love God, I love God. I don't know if I like always the part of love others as yourself. In my life, sometimes it looks like the two are conflicted. Conflicted. Um, sometimes I feel like uh, this guy.
0: We've all heard that most sacred of phrases. Love thy neighbor as thou oh, oh, no, <clears throat> sorry. I meant the other most sacred of phrases. Jesus said to love my neighbor, but that doesn't mean I have to like them. Ah, oh, yes, I love that phrase. I cling to it like a Pharisee clings to the law. That phrase is super helpful to me when I start feeling guilty about those times when I, well, hate my neighbor. Look, I know that that probably makes me sound like a terrible person, but hear me out. I mean, put yourself in my shoes. What if your neighbor was being unreasonable or unkind? Or what if you perceived them to be a threat to you and your way of life? Would you just go on loving your neighbor in the face of adversity? Of course you wouldn't, so don't make me feel bad for exercising a little preemptive self-defense. Someone just expressed an opinion online that I both disagree with and feel threatened by. I will now react in fear as I type a strongly worded response to this little jerk. Lord, help me rebuke this person. In love! See, here's the thing. If my neighbor is nice to me and we're getting along and they aren't disagreeing with me about anything, then we've got no problems. Things are great. The issue starts when my neighbor does something that I don't like. Hey, neighbor! What you listening to? Oh, it's that new One Direction CD. What? Yeah, I mean, it's catchy. I kind of like it. I kind of liked you, neighbor. Until now. Now it's not so easy to love my neighbor, is it? Frankly, I don't really think that I should feel obligated to love someone who is so offensive to me. But, I mean, there's no getting around the fact that Jesus did explicitly and unrealistically say to love thy neighbor. Though I will say that Jesus didn't live in the times that we live in now. And I'm betting that he changed his tune at least a little bit. Love thy neighbor as thyself, except for that guy over there. He's a lost cause. What a waste of creation. Great job, Dad. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Do when I disagree with my neighbor. I don't like people that I disagree with. Sue me! Uh, except, don't sue me. I guess the best that I can do is just keep saying that I love them. Because as we all know, if you say something enough, it makes it true. Uh, unless it's something that I disagree with, but, uh, but I've already covered that. Yeah, I don't get it. She cheated on me, and then she broke up with me. You don't seem very upset about it, though. Oh, well, I know she loved me because she used to say it all the time. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was just confused because her words and actions, like, weren't matching up. Oh, okay. yeah, I see why you would be confused, but no. I. I have no reason to believe she didn't love me. Okay. Anyway, I know that it might not make me the best person or anything, but I think that lip service is probably the best the Lord can expect of me. I mean, I cannot possibly be expected to put my neighbor's needs ahead of my own. What would you even call that? See, that would put me in a very vulnerable spot because sometimes I actually feel threatened by my supposed neighbors. Sometimes it really seems like they mean to do me harm. And is it so wrong that I don't respond well to that? Again, if Jesus were here now, I'm thinking he'd be understanding. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, uh, well, well, yeah, okay, you know what, I'll admit it. Maybe I was thinking about this whole thing wrong. I might be a little bit confused about what it means to love my neighbor. Maybe if it doesn't cost me anything, it doesn't actually mean anything. I mean, as long as I'm not expected to love my enemies, then we're good because that would be a bridge
1: too far. <laughs> Have you ever I will make you raise your hands, related to what Jordan said. It's on the t-shirt, love God, love others, but they don't seem to to fit when it comes to actually living out our lives. I mean, it happened to me this Friday, uh, you know, I was uh, starting my day off loving God early in the morning. And then next, I was loving the snow, and then I was loving my snowblower. Two hours later, I wasn't loving the snow as much, but I was still loving my snow blower. And then my neighbor started to work on his driveway with a shovel, and I was going, oh, no, I don't have enough time to help him. I should help him. I should love my neighbor. I mean, I'm doing a sermon series on love your neighbor. I should like clear my schedule, go over there, and just start snow blowing his driveway and everything. And uh, you know, I've I've have done that before. And I should do this now. And I'm like, but I can't. I got to get going. And then it dawned on me: lend him your snow, your shiny snowblower. And I'm like, but it's my shiny snowblower. I love my snowblower. It's awesome. It's got this button. The little thing goes, you know, it's all electric. I can't run it by my phone yet from inside, but, but I can, you know, it does all this kind of stuff. It's got lights on it. It's clean, no dents, no scratches. But if I love my neighbor, and I had to even come to terms with this, I had to say to myself, even if he breaks it, If he runs over something and breaks the pin or does something crazy about it, it might cost a few hundred dollars to fix. Is my neighbor worth a few hundred dollars if that ever happened? And I said, I've got to let it go. So I, with fear and trepidation, went over to my neighbor and said, hey, neighbor, I didn't Called him by his name, of course. Hey, neighbor. No, I I said, hey, neighbor, uh, why don't you use my snowblower and do what you need to do? You know, I'll leave the shed unlocked. You just put it back in there. I went in and got ready and went. And that's not to pat me on the back. It's to actually be shame on you, Dave, because there was actually, you know, this argument going on in my mind. You know, I wanted to hold on to it. And, uh, you know, is that... that, uh, is uh, going on in my mind. I just keep having flashbacks of good old Fred Rogers. You know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. You know, would you be mine? Could you be, you know, all those kinds of things. I'm going, I've got to lend my snowblower to this neighbor. And I've got to actually get to the place where I'm okay that God gave me this thing. And he gave me this thing not to keep it for myself, but to actually share it even even if there would be the downside of something getting broken on it. You see, love God, love others, both are on the T-shirt. And we need to understand that, and we need to see that uh, we need to, you know, in a sense, uh, live that out. We need to let things go. And I, I don't know what you're holding on. It may not be your snowblower, but it may be your time. It may be something else that you're holding on to, and maybe, maybe, and we talked about this a couple of weeks prior, that uh, the Holy Spirit, God in your life can help direct you to these things. We're not to take care of everything. It wasn't like I you know, put a sign out on my lawn you know, and said, anyone in the neighborhood, anyone in Waterloo needs to borrow my snowblower, feel free. You know, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I, I knew there were you know, hundreds of driveways that needed to be done. But in this case, I felt led by God uh, to, to do that. But we have to ask ourselves, what are we holding on to? And Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And on most days, at least in my world, it's easier to do the first part of that verse than the last part of that verse. And so, what, what do we do with that? How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we work through that? Because loving God and loving people belong on the same shirt. The two are actually in alignment. And really, alignment in this area determines the assignment. And what I mean by that is when a church, when an individual aligns themselves up with loving God, really loving God, and it starts loving their neighbor, I hate to say this, this may stop you from wanting to do this. I think the assignments get bigger and better. I think the assignments have become more effective. I, I, I think the doors open up. And so, you know, I, I say earlier on, I said, you know, we want to be a church that makes a difference. I want to be a pastor that makes a difference and blah, 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 blah. Love God, love others. And as I do that, there's an assignment There's an opportunity to express that. So as we align love others or love God and love others, I think the assignment, the impact of our lives grow, and I think there are more assignments. So you may say, let's close on prayer. I get that idea. I don't want more assignments. But if you love God, you love others because it's both on the t shirt Loving God, loving people. You see, we're to be a conduit for the love of God. We're not in this relationship with God just so we can feel good, just so we can sing songs that say we have hope. We're okay, no matter what happens, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's just not for you. It's just not for me. It's just not so I can live in my house and feel good about my life, and when something crazy happens, just go, the world's broken, and, but I, I, have, I have an eternity with God someday. So I just it, it's just not for me. It's to be shared. There should be alignment between loving God and loving people. Because when there isn't, there's problems. Don't know if this was real. I was looking for this. I can't imagine this being a real picture, but uh, I've always wondered how they make the bridges uh, connect properly. I remember when we were living in, in South Portland, Portland, they were putting this big bridge in and it cost, they used to call it the million dollar bridge and then they replaced it with a quarter of a billion dollar bridge and everyone called it the quarter of a billion dollar bridge. And and I just, and it was higher so they didn't have to open it up as much and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, but I always was watching, they were building it from side to side and if Dave Spencer was building it, That would have been the results, but somehow it all all worked. But this idea of alignment determines assignment. Um, You you know, we saw this just even a couple weeks ago. It's not a big, big deal, but it points to this concept. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we did this thing called trunk and treat. And that was an expression that we care for people And in our community, wouldn't it be nice if people didn't have to go all over town to get their little treats for their kids? Could we offer a safe place? And we were blown away that at least 200, some people said maybe even 250, 300 people showed up for an hour and a half. I think it was a Wednesday afternoon, evening, 5 to 6.30 or something like that. And and it was because of alignment. When we align... When there's alignment, it determines the assignment. And sometimes we want to be a greater influence as a person, a greater influence as a church, or whatever you want to say. Our real alignment will determine our assignments. And sometimes I marvel when I see somebody who just seems to be making a huge difference in people's lives. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's an organization. And it's because somehow they have this alignment with loving God and loving others, and it's amazing uh, when, when that, that takes place, and you see, that's something that Jesus spoke to, this whole idea of love your neighbor. We've looked at a couple uh, parables, a couple stories, and we're going to look again at Luke 15, verse 1. That's page 729, the Bibles you'll find around you. Also, the verses will be up on the screen. If you don't have your own paper copy of the Bible, please feel free to take that as a gift. Um, also, a great app, as you hear me say, is this you version, and you can have your Bible on your phone, your tablet, or whatever. And it's interesting that Jesus lived, loved God, loved others. That's why he came in a few, in a month or so, or a little bit longer, you know, we'll be celebrating Christmas. And it's the idea that Jesus leaves heaven and comes to earth, Uh, He wants to be this good neighbor. He loves people. He actually moves into the neighborhood. So beginning in verse 1, we read this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. It's interesting, tax collectors and sinners, uh, they all gathered around to hear Jesus. Somehow there was some kind of connection. You know, if most of us were to stop and look at Jesus, we would say, wow, why is Jesus spending time with these kinds of people? Why, he doesn't need to, what, why is he doing it, and these kinds of people actually like him. Sometimes you might think Jesus might be there and be this, uh, you know, uh, knight on a, you know, on a on the horse kind of a thing, and he's riding in, and, and nobody wants to hear from him, but these tax collectors and these sinners actually want to hear from Jesus. And in another translation, when describing sinners, he actually uses the word notorious sinners. I mean, these just weren't your run-of-the-mill sinners. These were notorious sinners. I don't know what that really means, but uh, in the New Living Translation, they thought that was a better description. And here Jesus is in the middle of them. And again, love God, love others on the t-shirt, but the religious people of the day, the Pharisees weren't buying it. They were were really troubled by this, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This this is horrible that that he actually does this. They, They can't, they can't, Fathom that he actually welcomes them. It's not he. This man puts up with sinners, and kind of, you know, and eats a, you know uh, you know some French fries with them. No, this person welcomes sinners and eats with them. And the word, the concept of eats with them, is fellowship, closeness, relating to them. You all know when you have somebody over for dinner, there's there's an intimacy there that isn't just when you're saying hi, bye kind of a thing. There's there's more going on there. There's more connection. Eugene Peterson renders this verse this way. He says, The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them and treats them like old friends. That is crazy. How in the world can this guy do this? Because, you know, they're classifying people into two groups in their culture. One group is sinners, and one group is saints. And, you know, and for them, it was really easy to do that. You had your sinners, you had your saints. And there were all kinds of things that uh, made you, let's say, a, um, a saint. So, you know, let's say you, uh, you know, well, you're a Pharisee. Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, it's very dangerous to me doing anything with coordination. So stand back. It's good to know. So anyway, so, you know, you're a Pharisee. You're a religious leader. You follow the law. In Jesus' day, if you were a male, you were you were a saint. Well, some people haven't lived with them, so they don't know. But anyway, but they were a saint. It went on and on and on. And then on the other hand, if you were a tax collector you were a sinner. I'm doing this on the right thing. You have go just just double-checking. I might get struck by lightning if I put the wrong person in the wrong box here. Sinners, you know, uh, if you were a, a, a female, they, they didn't have much stock back then. Uh, if you were a Gentile, you know, uh, this again, if you were Jewish, you were, you were in the saints section. If you ate bacon, Sorry, it's terrible because you weren't following the law. You were a sinner. And uh, it just made no sense that Jesus didn't drop himself in this bottle. He went in that bottle. And he's having fun with these guys. He's, he's again, he's uh, welcoming them. He's hanging out with them. And the Pharisees, the saints, can't handle it. Can't handle it. And and they go, Jesus is qualified to be one of the saints. But he is okay with the sinners. You see, they didn't get the t shirt, they didn't see it. And it bothered them so much that in our world, our language, they might be asking themselves this "Does, Does Jesus care more? Does Jesus care more for the unchurched than the church? Is that what's going on here? Because it seems like he's doing this. Does he care more for the rebels than the righteous? I mean, they do all kinds of things that are outside the law. They they do all kinds of things. They do all these kinds of things. Does Jesus care more for the rebels than the righteous? Because again, he should be hanging out with us. He should be eating with us. He should be welcoming us. And he does do that. But he also seems to disproportionately welcome sinners and eat with them and hang out with them. Does God care or does Jesus care more for the loss? than the found because again it just seems to be the case and because of that they don't like jesus and because of that they tried to trip jesus up all the time so jesus thought i guess this is a good time for a parable this is a good time for a story So we see that he gets ready to tell some stories. And it's interesting, he tells not one story, not two stories, but three stories. It's interesting that Jesus gives more energy, more time to answering this question than a lot of other questions. Because it's so important to him. He wants to reveal God's heart. And he's saying to all these religious people, he's saying to all these righteous people, to all these saints that if you love God, you're going to actually love sinners. So he tells three stories, and each story, the stakes go up. Gets, the stakes get higher and higher. And uh, he, each story has this idea of something that's lost, someone that's lost, someone that's found, and then it's party time, time and time again. Lost, found, party. What is this about? Why is Jesus this way? So he starts to tell these stories, and I'm going to just hit the first two, just kind of make some comments about them, and we'll keep moving along. Uh, The first one is the lost sheep, and some of us have have heard this. It's this idea, this shepherd's got 100 sheep. He loses one somehow, and he leaves the 99 and goes and gets that one sheep. Uh, It seems to be a little bit uh, uh, irresponsible. I mean, you lose one sheepie to leave the 99. Now, he probably had some buddy, shepherd buddies that kind of kept their eye on it. But the, still, the, the idea, of this, this is kind of crazy. Why would he do this? Um, right now, the Pharisees don't give a rip about this story. You know why? Because they don't like shepherds. Shepherds could have gone in the, the sinner category. They're not clean. They're dirty. They're, you know. And so they're like, oh, okay, what's this story about? The, the, the sinners, at this other hand, go, I like this story. We're shepherd kind of people. I like this. So he goes through, lost, found, party, And then in verse 7 we read, I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That is crazy. That is crazy. But that is the heart of God. That's the heart of the kingdom. Another way of saying that's Jesus' heart. You love God, you love others, you care about the lost. Even if it's only 1%, you care about the lost. The Pharisees, the religious guys, it's blowing their mind. Sometimes I, I deal with that. Sometimes someone says... Dave, you, you, you make things understandable. You do, you do things this way. We, we want it kind of this way. And I'll say, I, I get that. I understand that. I actually know those kinds of things. But you're already found. You're already found. I, can I dare say this? I might get in trouble for the meeting tonight. But I don't believe you can lose your relationship with God. I don't believe you can lose your salvation once you've been adopted in the family. So, you're all set. That one other person isn't all set. If we really believe this stuff, we're believing that that one person is facing a Christless eternity. So, I, I have more fire in my belly for that one person that's facing a Christless eternity than the 99 that are all set. That one matters more because the 99 are all set. We'll be in heaven for eternity new heavens, new earth. That one will not, so I spend a little bit more energy. I spend a little bit more understanding. it's actually harder when you don't live in all those cultures to try to, to think those things out. It. it takes more work. It would be easier just to get up and you know not have jars with balls in them. I mean I'm hunting around the house, you know it just would be easier. I, didn't, I don't have to do that. but the person on the edge, the person starting their first steps, that's the kind of stuff they need. And, and, that, and that resonates. And until you've had somebody that your heart is so concerned about, a sibling, a parent, a child, a neighbor, a friend, somebody you went to war with, literally, in Iraq or wherever, that doesn't know Jesus, until you have that kind of relationship, you go, well, all right. But when you have a face and you see a face, man, it it sticks with you. Some of you are aware of this. When we put the new rug down, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe it's been longer, it's probably been longer, we wrote people's names on the floor, people's names that we want to see come to Christ. Not in a judgmental way, but, but people, we would say, that's, that's someone who, that's, that's a lost person. They need, to be, they need to be found, and we want to have a party. So we put their names on. It's kind of symbolic. We're praying for that person because it, it breaks our heart. And I'll tell you, this, this actually makes me a little angry. Sorry. Maybe righteous anger, maybe not. If you're not losing sleep a few times a month, Because there's someone that's on your heart that you want them to see them come to Christ. Shame on you. You love God, but there's a disconnect between loving others as yourself. Okay, move on. Okay, lost coin. This time there's 10 coins. One coin gets lost. A woman, again, the Pharisees are like, Give me a break! Irresponsible loses a coin. No, they're just they're down on this person, and she she sweeps the floor looking for the coin lost, found. Hello, it's a party time again. In the same way, I tell you, they'll be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same thing, party time. Then. Story, many of us are familiar with the lost son, the prodigal son. Jesus continues on. He starts talking. He says, Jesus, continue on. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. All the religious leaders, all the Pharisees are first going, Wait a minute, if he's got money, he must be holy, he must be righteous. Totally equated back in that day, if you had that going on, God was blessing you, and God was blessing you because you had your act together. So they're listening, they identify with this guy, and they can't believe that this kid would actually ask for his share, which was a third. The older son got two-thirds. The younger son wants his share, and he asks for it. They can't believe it. They're leaning into the story. I think they've forgotten about the sheep. They've forgotten about the coin. They're there, and they're thinking, if my kid did that, there would be heck to pay. They can't believe it. And then they can't believe what happens next. So the father divides his property between them. They, They just can't believe this because the property, his share, wasn't supposed to be his until his dad dies, and then it's transferred over. But the the father does this anyway. The the Pharisees, the scribes, are coming unhinged by this. And then the son goes on and and, and does his thing. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant land, uh, country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Totally predictable. What else would he do? Right, I mean, come on! You give him all this money, he doesn't, and he takes off. This, this is just this. That's what's going to happen. And I'm sure there's a moment. Shame on you, Dad! You should have known this was going to happen. Some reason the sad this Dad uh, lets this kid make these choices for himself. Again, very predictable. It happens after a while. Things there's a famine. Uh, People are losing their jobs, businesses are closing, things are tight, the economy is in a downturn, all those kinds of things, work's hard to find, and he became uh, in need. Uh, His money is is gone, so he's trying to figure out, how do I survive, uh, you you know, and he he goes, I'm going to do it on my own, so he went off and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, and uh, Jesus must have thought, what is the most vile job these Pharisees will go, oh I can't believe he did that. And it was pigs getting tied with a lot and all that. It just this was the worst job. You think of the worst job in our culture? This is what what this kid is doing. And and I'm I'm sure some of the, the Pharisees, scribes going, yeah, he's getting what he deserves. <laughs> Ah, you know, that's yeah. You know, take that lesson out there. Tell my kids that lesson because if they know there's cause and effect, if they cross the line and the hammer's going to come on them, that maybe will keep them in line. So, this is a great story so far. And you know, he wants to eat their food just for disgusting and all that kind of stuff. Then it moves on to verse 17 and it says, When he came to his senses, he realized, wait a minute, back at my dad's house. Even the hired servants, when things get tight, my dad's been responsible with his living. You know, it's not like it's a bad year, or bad couple years, they're losing everything. So I'm sure all the servants are getting fed, everything's pretty okay and all of that. So here I am starving to death. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Dad, I, I, you know, I, I need some help. I've sinned against you and uh, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come back and, and, and try to make things right. I like this word, he comes to his senses. I like the idea that he trusts who his dad is. He trusts in the character of his dad. All that religious stuff, all that righteous, holy living growing up, this younger son knows, you know, that wasn't put on. That really was who my dad was. So there's a good chance if I go back, he'll treat me with mercy. And this this is a question that I wrestled with probably the biggest thing about uh, this week as I was looking at all of this. I was, would your friend or family member call you if they came to their senses or would they feel so judged that they would starve first? Would they starve if, if, if that younger son's dad was a hard guy and wouldn't budge and said, you know, you did what you did. You got, you made your bed. Now you got to lay in it. If he if he was that kind of a dad, that kid wouldn't have gone back. But because he knew his dad, he said, I'm not going to starve. I'm going back to my dad. I, I, I've had asked myself this. I, I got some... Uh, Some of you are aware of this. There's something going on in my family, and it's it's outside the rails and all this kind of stuff. And, And I've said, as I navigate through this with my greater family, I want to point to Christ. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to condone, all that kind of stuff. But I want to leave the door open so that if my family member is starving to death, whatever that looks like, they actually would be thinking they could call me and I would pick up the phone. A lot of us, a lot of us love God and because we love God so much, shame on you for not loving God and acting that way, we cut them off. Again, are there, are there even any people in your life that could mess up and start starving and they could call you? Sometimes... I don't know about you. I live my life so nicely, so neatly, that I make sure there are no people in my life that might start starving, so I don't have to ever get the call. I've shared with you this before. Sometimes I think about my three daughters, and I realize one reason I wanted them to live a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, is so that I would have less messes in my life. It wasn't about them being good kids. I didn't want to have to help clean up afterwards. That is so stinking Selfish. That is very sinful. Love God, love others. Would they call? Now, I'm not talking about enabling. I'm not talking... Some of you have been down the road with people that... You've, you've, got, to, you've got to stop. But just in a general sense. If the T-shirt says, Love God, love others, there's alignment. Then it's got, it's got to be there. There's got to be some people there. It's just some quick ideas on... How do I inspire trust? Best neighborhood experience, and I almost don't want to share this, but i got to say it, was when one of my neighbors, who has, has had no spiritual whatever, you know, we do the Christmas cookies with a little, you know, invite card and all that stuff every year. But anyway, comes over to me, knocks on the door, and goes, I have an awkward question. I might have shared this before with you. I go, that, that's okay, what, what's the question? My, my dad's dying, would you mind praying for him? Like blown away. Somehow, somehow, he he trusted to ask me that. Um, you know, again, God's working in that whole mess and all and all of that kind of stuff. So I so I don't I don't compare, but but do you inspire trust with people that are quote unquote and lost people? And again, a lost person doesn't like consider themselves lost. They go, I'm right here. I don't even know what that means. But but you know what I'm saying if you've been around church world a little bit. Uh, How do I stimulate curiosity? Do they see how you live in such a way that that creates a little bit of hunger? They might never admit it, they might never admit it, but they actually are a little bit hungry because they see the way you live your life. Not in a self-righteous way, but somehow your life is ordered differently than their life. And somehow they want at least the consequences of that well-ordered life. Do You create curiosity or do you just shut it down? So they never want to talk about anything spiritual. Or do you just throw enough out there? Don't give them, you know, a five-hour conversation, just enough to keep the conversation go so they're actually curious about why you live the way you live. And 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 they're curious. And again, kind of going along with it, do I create a hunger for it? Is there there do, do I present the facets of Christ that they need for their moment? So if they're feeling lonely, do I talk about God's judgment? Yeah, you're lonely, but believe me, you're a sinner, you don't know Jesus, you're going to die and go to hell, and that, that's where you tell Or do you say, or do you go, wait a minute, they, they don't need that right now. That, that may be true, but they don't need that right now. What they need to know is that there's a loving God that will come alongside them and be there with them. Do you create a hunger for that? Not being dishonest, not being disgenerous, but you actually create a hunger for that. that, that those three questions, and you probably come up with some more, those three questions and more questions make it so that when someone comes to their senses, they go, maybe I'll talk to my friend. But if, if, if you've not been that kind of person, they will starve to death. Than rather than call you they don't want to be told i told you so they don't want any of that kind of stuff it's funny the, the, you know in that kind of situation that story the uh, the lost son I, I i the way i i, I might go, have gone on to go back and see my brother you know i'm not going to go see mom and dad you know that will be i'll go but but as we know the rest of the story the brother wasn't that person the dad was the person He talks about not being worried, he, uh, worthy. He's getting this. What's interesting, again, is that his father's looking for him. He sees him far off. Again, are, are, those, are those love God, love others? Are, are we looking for that? Or are we looking away? Uh, sometimes, uh, I've said this earlier in the series, that sometimes there's an opportunity and I kind of want to look the other way. At the same time, I have this conflict because I, I want to live a life that makes a difference, that counts. So alignment affects assignment, and so if I'm not aligned, I'm not going to get any of these assignments. And, you know, he goes back, his, 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 he runs, his, his father runs, which is just unseemly for the day. Everyone goes, go, what's going on? Undignified, but, but it, that didn't matter to his father. Uh, sometimes you and I, when we're loving on our, our, our neighbor, or whoever that may be, need to, no, need to be okay with not being dignified or, or whatever that means. Um, so he runs to them. Uh, he, he gets there. Uh, he he says, "Wow, my son's back. This is great. Lost found. Bring the best robe. The best robe was his robe. You know, I look between the lines and go, "Did this kid take a shower before I give him my robe?" <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but you know, that's how small I am. shower and then the best robe. But anyway, you know, so best robe, Ring means that he's back in the family. Sandals. Uh, servants don't have shoes. Family members have sandals. His son. Uh, the fattened calf, which would feed the whole village. So this is going to be a huge party. Everybody, it's not like our sons come back and we kind of keep it secret. They're celebrating. Everybody knows what happened. And uh, let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again and is found, and they began to celebrate, and the story goes on. Again, this whole, this whole reason for the story is this welcome sinners and eats with them. Jesus is spending more time, more energy talking about that. Some of us are familiar with the son who comes back, the son who's stuck by, the loyal son, the good son, and the party's going on. He is just told, uh, These buttons are just, his buttons are just being pushed. I've told you stories about uh, people coming to Christ and not knowing all the Christian rules and Christians who do know all the rules, quote unquote, getting really ripped off at the Christian that doesn't know the rule, the new guy. And uh, I'm like, what are you, crazy? It's just great that they're here. This is the son. And he refuses to go in and celebrate. The son, the father actually leaves the party, which again is shameful that he gets up. Son won't come to him. He's got to go to his son, uh, pleads with him. Uh, the son is having none of it. The son is actually being insulting by answering his father, Look! all these years. He should have said, Sir, father. Uh, you know, just, you know, just your son, he's getting what he deserved. I'm not getting what I deserved. And then we hear the father say, My son, the father says, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. Earlier on, I said, the person that knows Christ, always with God. God's always with him. Everything he has is here. You have the inheritance of being a son or daughter of Christ, of God. That other person does not, does not. So, lighten up, okay? But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive, was lost, and is found over and over again. Jesus is about alive, found people and seeing that happen. And that really is about this idea of being a neighbor. Now we have to realize that this whole sinner Saint classification. Uh, I'll get to this in a minute, so don't be filling in the blanks totally in your mind. But uh, it doesn't matter who you are, sinner or saint, how you classify yourself, how you classify, uh, we're all made in the image of God. And because of that, because of that, Christ came. And that really, in a sense, puts us all in the same, the same. Uh, container. It, it, it isn't that, it isn't that we're sinners or saints. It's, it's we're all created in the image of God. So we all, oh, I did it. We all fit in the same thing because we're all created in the image of God. The conservative, the liberal the straight person, the gay person, whatever you want to say, all created in the image of God. I'm, because of time, I'm not going to give you more labels, but you can fill it in the blanks. Now, that does not mean, that does not mean sin doesn't matter. It does not mean being out of alignment in the sense of our behavior matters, but 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 what matters more is that Jesus cares. He came. We read this in Isaiah. We all, sinners and saints, have gone astray, and each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on the iniquity. And the Lord laid on Him that is Jesus the iniquity, the sin. Of us all. It's no difference in that level, in that place. And so we can't be parsing all of this. The Pharisees were all over Jesus because he welcomed sinners and ate with them. Just imagine, just just imagine what would happen in our community. If, if people thought that Seneca Community Church welcomes sinners and eats with them. Just imagine that. J- just, just imagine you're at a soccer game. Another dad comes up to you and says, hey Dave, I don't have to go to soccer games anymore because my kids are growing up, but let's just say, hey Dave, I, I, I hear you go to church. Yeah, I go to church. And he goes, uh, he goes uh, what church you go to? Oh, I go to Seneca Community Church. Oh, 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 oh. I've heard that that church welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you go, yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And what's, what's great about that is I wouldn't have gotten in if that wasn't the case. And then you, with a little boldness, look at your friend and say, you know, and I've watched the way you live. Guess what? Huh, you wouldn't get in either. You see, welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, we have to ask ourselves this. We have to ask ourselves, do we really love where we live? Do we love our neighbors? Do we love our people? Because on the shirt, on the shirt, it fits. Love God, love others. It's not like this shirt. Pink flamingos and patriots, they do not fit together. That's a bad thing. Love others, love God, fit together. It is on the shirt. Let's pray. Grace Heavenly Father, uh, we just uh, thank you for the way you care for us, the way you love us, the way you welcome us. It doesn't mean you don't want us to, to grow. You don't want us to grow and take next steps in our relationship with you. It doesn't mean that you want us to stay where we're at when it comes to being out of alignment with you and your preferred will for our lives. But you welcome us, you eat with us in a sense, you have fellowship with us, and we just thank you for that. And Father, this morning, I I pray that we would be known as a church that welcomes sinners and eats with them because we wear the shirt that has love God and love others. Help us to be that kind of place. And this morning, if there's anyone here that's never said yes to you, I just ask in this moment that they would understand no matter what their past is, no matter what they're in the middle of right now, no matter what seems to have them trapped, that you would welcome them and you would want to be with them and in a sense, eat with them. And all they need to realize is that they need you in their life to reach out to you to accept your forgiveness because of what you did on the cross and say, Jesus, here I am. I pray that even in this moment, there'd be somebody in this room, maybe a couple of people in this room, that would be settling that with you even in this moment. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.